For our first message this afternoon, we have a split sermon from Mr. Mark McGarvey entitled, The Passover Lamb. Mr. McGarvey. Good afternoon. I, was thought, I thought about uh, what Reg was doing, doing this in my parents' Donegal Irish accent, but uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't last, I couldn't do that. Wouldn't come out too well. I'm sure glad those who are here made it today. It's a beautiful day out there, beautiful spring day. And uh, I look forward to the spring. I hope we don't have another hard, cold freeze before it's done. So at this time of year with the spring holidays almost upon us, and it's going to be a time of renewal, uh, reflection and looking forward. With the Passover just over a week away, it is time to look at ourselves and examine what these days mean to us. <clears throat> Today I'm going to talk about the Passover lamb and the lamb sacrifice. What did the Passover lamb mean for the Israelites in ancient times? What does it mean for modern day Jews? And what does it mean for us as Christians? Of course, there are contrasts between the meanings of the Jewish Passover lamb and what we know as Christians of the Passover lamb. On the one hand, we have an everlasting statute that God commanded the Israelites to observe. And on the other, we have the perfect sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The story of the Passover lamb begins in the book of Exodus. That's where I want to begin here as we look at this, uh, briefly look at the, the meaning of the Passover lamb. So we'll begin in Exodus chapter 12 and look at verses 21 through 28. Exodus 12, verses 21 through 28. <clears throat> Verse 21, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So the blood from this, this unblemished lamb had to be used on the lintel and doorposts of every house in Egypt. If there was no blood on any house 
The firstborn in that house would die that very night. It was that simple. Very strict directions from God. But these verses are, are giving instructions on how to pass the meaning of Passover down through generations. And that's why Moses spoke to the, the leaders, the, the heads that night, to pass this story down to their generations, to their children, their children's children, and so on. What happened and the story of it. To this day, the whole story, well, this whole story is of extreme significance to the Jews. The Passover is the most important time of the year for, that, for the Jews. They gather together with family and friends, have a big meal with their specific foods relevant to this time of year. They call Passover Pesa, and it's spelled P-E-S-A-C-H. It looks like Pesach or Pesach, but pronounced Pesa, P-E-S-A. I was watching a show on ETA a few years ago about the whole Passover and, and what it means for Jews. And it showed how they observe Passover. And what they do is they have what they call the Seder, which means order. This is the ceremony of acting out and reading the Haggadah, a series of practices that convey the story of Exodus, the Haggadah. As part of their, their uh, Passover meal, they will eat five bitter herbs, which refers to the bitter herbs eaten in keeping with the biblical commandment, with bitter herbs they shall eat it, from Exodus 12, 8, when they had killed the lamb to be eaten. So I pulled up a, an excerpt from a website which explains the bitter herbs. This is from uh, uh, lovetoknow.com. Here it is, quote, mercy and the bitter herbs. When representing the story of Exodus during Seder, the quality of rachamin, which is forgiveness, is symbolized through maror. And these are the five bitter herbs. Horseradish, chicory, sow thistle, endives, and lettuce are the five bitter herbs most commonly used as maror. The maror, or herbs, are usually placed in or near the center of the plate in order to depict rachamim at the heart of every person. While the bitter herbs are indeed a reminder of the austerity and pain of enslaved Israelites, it is a belief that bitterness of spirit produces a discovery of bounteous mercy. The extreme hostility experienced creates an abundance of compassion. It's this belief that makes the center of the dish the accepted position for the maror, end quote. So the very specific five bitter herbs and they do sound real bitter. I mean, lettuce is probably the least bitter out of those five. But, um, yeah, so thistle. Um, so for modern day Jews, the whole Passover season gives them reason to understand the symbolism of the Israelites being freed um, from the yoke of their oppression, the Egyptians. The ancient custom of sacrificing lambs on the eve of Passover and eating the meat to begin the festival ended with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in A.D. 70. So ever since A.D. 70, almost 2,000 years, 1,960-odd years now, they have not had animal sacrifices in Jerusalem because, of course, the temple was destroyed. Almost 2,000 years now. And so as a mark of respect um, 
for the memory of the temple sacrifices, the eating of a whole roasted lamb on Passover is forbidden. Jews who accept the looser interpretation of the lamb, or the law, will eat lamb, just not roasted. So some will do it, but most of them will not actually eat lamb because of that reason. So, that's a look at the, the Jewish side of things in Passover, briefly. What does the Passover lamb mean for us as Christians? Well, our Passover lamb is another, none other than Jesus Christ himself. He is a, the sacrificial lamb who gave himself up as unblemished, without sin, to be crucified and put to death, and after three days, rise from the dead. I'm going to look at this one, one verse here. And it was John the Baptist. We all know it. We've read it before. When he, uh, when he first saw Jesus walking towards him. John chapter 1, verse 29. John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So when John sees Jesus, he knows and understands who Jesus really is. Although Jesus and John uh, were second cousins, the Bible doesn't tell us of any encounters they had prior to this. For the Jews, they were freed from the yoke of oppression, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. We were freed from our yoke of oppression, sin, in our former life. Now, after putting on the Holy Spirit, we can look forward to our promised hope, eternal life. Sometimes the Passover lamb has been referred to as the Paschal lamb. You may have heard that expression before. P-A-S-C-H-A-L, the Paschal lamb. In Judaism, this is the lamb of God, and in Christianity, it is the sacrificial lamb. So from... Adam to Christ's first coming as the Messiah over those 4,000 years, mankind sinned like mankind, mankind always has. God is holy, sin is bad. And although sacrifices were made in earlier parts of the Bible, in Genesis, you know, with Abraham and, uh, and others, the official institution of animal sacrifices on a regular schedule was with Moses and Aaron and the Israelites as they wandered. So from Moses to Christ was approximately 1,500 years. Um, bullocks, rams, and lambs were sacrificed on behalf of the people to atone for their sin. Humans' sins had to be recompensed. And the only way that God allowed it was through animal sacrifice. 1,500 years, approximately. So, God purposely foreordained this time of year for Jesus to be sacrificed. It was foreordained. His death would coincide with Passover and the days of unleavened bread. By dying at this time, he would become our Passover. He would give new meaning to it all. There would be no reason to slay a lamb for a sacrifice to God anymore. He is the lamb. He is the sacrifice. He is without blemish. 
He is the Passover lamb. So, although the Jews are keeping the holy days correctly, they are missing out on the fuller picture that we have. They are still waiting for the Messiah to come. Still waiting for the Messiah to come. He already came. Jesus of Nazareth was, is the Messiah. And his instructions on how to observe the Passover with the foot washing, breaking of bread to symbolize his body, and drinking of the wine to symbolize his shed blood, is what they are missing out on. I'll turn to another scripture here. First uh, Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 6 through 8. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8. Verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. At this time of year, as we do every year, we need to examine ourselves. We need to get rid of that leaven in our life, the sin, no matter how big or small. Because Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. He sacrificed himself to blot out our sin, but we've got to want to destroy that sin. And if we're finding it tough, you know, we need to get down on our knees and pray. And we don't need an appointment to see God. He's always available, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, always available. But what of, what of Christ's sacrifice itself? Have you considered, contemplated what he actually went through? or even looked at it, read it online or whatever. Crucifixion, one of the most brutal and painful forms of capital punishment. Traditionally, the Romans nailed the prisoner or condemned to a wooden upright. Now, there are, the Romans traditionally had five types of crucifixion forms they would use. One was a traditional shaped one that most Christians use today, you know, a cross, like so. Um, then there was the T-shaped one, which had the top cross member on top of the upright. Uh, the, th the third one was a single pole, like a tree, single pole where the arms would be uh, held overhead and nailed to the post. Um, four was an X-shaped deal like this, which wasn't used as commonly. So the arms and legs would be stretched out on the X. And five, the fifth version was a scaffold, which they would use for multiple crucifixions, which I think it's, it's recorded somewhere um, by Josephus, somewhere that the Romans crucified five or 6,000 at the time of Spartacus and his uprising, or, or somebody at that time on the one day. And that's how they did it. Thousands of people crucified outside the city gates. A horrific sight, if, if you'd seen that, <coughs> I'm sure. But from what we read in the Gospel accounts, it looks like Jesus was forced to carry the, the crossbeam 
not the whole cross like it shows in some of the old movies. He couldn't have carried that because um, archaeologists and, and scientists have, have looked back at that. The research shows a full cross, if it had been the full thing, would have been over 300 pounds. And there's just no way he could have carried that. Even the fit man would be dragging the thing, you know. Um, so it looks like he was made to carry the crossbeam member. So he may have been cru crucified on a traditional uh, a cross or the T-shaped one, it would appear. And the cross member would have been, you know, anything from 30 to 100 pounds. It would have been more reasonable. Um, most of the victims died from asphyxiation um, because the whole pulling the body up, because your, your arms and hands are nailed to the post, and your, your feet are nailed, there was a constant thing of trying to catch the breath, so they'd be trying to pull up, do that for a few minutes, then go down again, so the whole time and your head would be pushed against your chin, and you only do that for so long, for a few hours. Some lasted days, somehow, I'm not sure, but um, um, then of course if, they, if the Romans had to speed it up, they'd break the legs of the, uh, the condemned, and that would end it. So, and then the beating before his execution from the Romans and those in the Sanhedrin, and he was beaten, punched in the face, spat on. And then he was lashed with bits that would have had bits of bone and metal on the ends of them. They would have just tear up the flesh. Um, it seems 39 was the number that the Romans chose. It would bring you close to death, between 39 to 50. They know how to bring a man down to his knees and almost kill him, but not quite kill him. And, and Jesus knew this beforehand. He knew what was coming. Um, you know, he didn't say, you know, can we do this another way? No, no. He knew what was going to happen. It was probably going to be crucifixion. And he followed it through to the bitter end. No backing down. It was going to be painful. It was going to be horrific. There would be a lot of blood. But he saw it through. He went through all that pain and torment for us. He went through it all for us. He wanted to do it for us. It was what he was destined to do because he loves us. That's why he did it. He loves us and wants each and every one of us to have eternal life. And that was what he chose to do. He was destined to do it. He followed it through. Go to another scripture here. <clears throat> the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, and verses 10 through 14. Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 10 through 14. Verse 10. By that will we, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies <coughs> are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I like that, that one passage there. He sat down. It was done. And I've got a little quote here from the actual uh, New King James Study Bible on these four verses. It says, The author of Hebrews 
which we usually believe to be Paul, contrasts the Levitical priest with Jesus, our high priest. The Levitical priests always stood before God. There were no seats in the sanctuary, for the priest's job was never done. There were always more sins for which to atone, never ending. In contrast, Christ sat down after offering himself as a sacrifice. Sitting indicates that his work of atonement is finished. His final words on the cross, it is finished, declare this spiritual reality. That's from John 19, verse 30. It is finished. So, one day, one day, the whole world will observe the holy days. In the millennium, after Christ's return, not only will we go up to the Feast of Tabernacles every year, as it says in Zechariah 14, 16, but we'll, we will observe the holy days set out in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, statutes for all time, and each one is full of meaning and are to be observed. So, the Passover lamb has dual meaning. First, an unblemished lamb uh, was to, chosen to be a sacrifice to God and roasted to be eaten at this time with bitter herbs to remember the night the angel of death passed over the homes that had the blood on the door jams and lintel. The second definition is sacrifice of Christ. As the only unblemished, sinless human being that ever existed, gave himself up to the point of death so that all our sins are forgiven and everyone, the whole world, will have the opportunity to repent and accept him as our savior. I want to look at one final scripture here in 1 Peter 1 verses 17 through 21. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 21. Verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of year of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. He is the one and only true Passover lamb, as Peter said. In every aspect, therefore, Jesus fulfilled the prophetic picture that he is our Passover lamb.